0: You are listening to Fellowship Around the Table.
1: It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go.
0: Welcome in to another week at Fellowship Around the Table. And I hear it too Christmas is in the air. And so this week at the table, joining me, I have my good, dear friend, Seth Perry. Good morning. Morning, Seth. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. So is this a Lampoon Christmas vacation kind of season <laughs> or what kind of season is it? That's my favorite. Kind. <laughs> Can you say that at church? Oh, yeah. Okay. Definitely. All right. <laughs> well, I brought
0: Seth in. We've been friends here at Fellowship. How long How long have you been at Fellowship?
1: 2005.
0: 2005. Okay. I'm 2008. Okay. Yeah. So
1: I'm older. Yeah.
0: Yes, and more ways than one. Yes, more mature, too. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We've been friends pretty much my whole time that I've been here.
1: Yeah, great friends. Hiking, you're always one step behind. That's right. Yeah. It's true. We do an
0: annual backpacking trip together. You always finish first.
1: It is a highlight every year. Every
0: year. I just love it so much. Um, One of the things that we share that we love, we love to read. Amen. In Russian literature. (laughs) <laughs> the slog, this slog. <laughs> i say that because seth spent some time in russia
1: i did i went with campus crusade after college yeah. and ended up spending two years there one year in samara and one year in moscow and ended up meeting my wife there not as a russian that's right but she was we were on the same team together crew marriage that's right, crew marriage. They call that stent goggles. Stent goggles. Stint goggles. Yep. Everybody starts looking great when you're in another country,
0: and you can both speak the correct language. Yes, yes. <laughs> the Everybody language you were your born team, with. Right? I should say. Yeah, looks yeah, yeah. Great. Yes. Stent
1: goggles. Yes. That's so great. <laughs> ben
0: Cornish has a similar story when he was in Australia. That's where he
1: met his wife on yes. a crew mission. Yeah. I had to get a blessing to be able to date Karen.
0: Okay. From
1: from the regional re- leader there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because they discourage it so much. But you got the blessing. <laughs> I got the blessing. Usually people get back to the states and those goggles fall off. Ah, but
0: not so mine stayed on. That's but. right. Oh, that's awesome. Our friend group. We always tease Seth that he's really in the KGB and he's a pla- he's a plant here in the states.
1: It's actually the FSB. The K- oh, KGB was the Soviet. So I mean, you know
0: more than me already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The suspicion <laughs> continues. <laughs> Well, it is Christmas time. I love Christmas. As believers, we love to celebrate the first advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that's kind of been a little tradition in my life is many years ago, I read a book from one of the early church fathers, Athanasius, called On the Incarnation. And it's a small little book written early on in, in the church defending Jesus's deity and his humanity and kind of that idea of the the Trinity and who the Son is, and all of that. And I love it. It's just so well written. It's short. It's a great reminder of what we're celebrating at Christmas time. So I asked Seth to read it with me this year, and we could come in and discuss this and remind us what Christmas is all about.
1: Yeah, so grateful for it. Never read it before and loved it. Hated it at the same time, because it meant I had a deadline. (laughs) And when there's a deadline, it's not quite as much fun as leisurely (laughs) reading, right? right? But one of the things that I really liked about the book was C.S. Lewis had done an introduction. I know. And who doesn't love C.S. Lewis? Right. Or for those who don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he wrote the Narnia series in Mere Christianity, Mm -hmm. which is is funny explaining because – I mean, explaining C.S. Lewis to most Christians is like explaining Chick-fil-A <laughs> to that's believers, that's right? right. You, you become a believer, you're given a Bible and mere Christianity, practically. <laughs> I think that did happen to me. Right? And then you're given a Chick-fil-A coupon. Oh, yeah, Right? right. <laughs>
0: and a trip to Hobby Lobby. Yeah, that's hours. right. That's
1: right. So you get all the signs that's for right. the house.
0: Yeah. But it, it is interesting because... I kind of stumbled upon this in one of the major English translations of this. He writes that forward and it's only a few pages but it's amazing. Of course. As everything. <laughs> As everything it is amazing that he wrote.
1: <laughs> he was a professor of the English language and literature at Magdalen College, Oxford. And so okay. he he believed in reading deeply and broadly and other things and this of course should never be at the expense of reading the, the inspired word of God. But right.
0: But but it kind of begs that question and I think we've had this discussion why not just read the Bible? Why would we read anything else? Right? I mean, that sounds sounds
1: spiritual, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. of course. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I became a believer as a freshman in high school. I did read some other things, but I actually fell a lot into that. I felt Mm. like there was only one thing that made you spiritual and that was almost like asceticism. Mm. So you had to turn away from the world and just read the inspired word of God and anything else was a waste of time. Right. It took several years for God to open my eyes to the truth of C.S. Lewis's words.
0: Yeah. And just a couple of things that come to mind for me, there's general revelation. We call the Bible, it's specific inspired revelation, but God has revealed himself all around us. We wouldn't use that in terms of authority or, or defining the critical parts of our faith, but we can learn a lot about God from just creation.
1: Yeah, and in Romans one and in Psalms nineteen, it talks about God's majesty and His creativity and and complexity is is seen in nature and the the complexity of nature. And I know it's anecdotal, but when I was in Russia, one of the campuses we ministered at was it was the Harvard of Russia. And there was a microbiology student we were talking to, and it was just general conversation. Uh But we asked, you know, do you believe in God? And And she laughed and she said, of course I do. I'm I'm a microbiologist. Wow. She said, there's not many people in my department that at least don't believe in God. Isn't
0: that amazing? To some degree,
1: right? (laughs) Because you you get under a a microscope and look at the complexity of life and just amazed at what God has done. And the
0: systems and the design and whether you're looking up at the vastness or through a microscope and to the tiny, it's just unbelievable.
1: Right. Blew my mind.
0: I think, too – The idea of why not just read the Bible, it's just you and the Bible, that's what's going to define everything for you in terms of your faith, is it ignores the gift of teaching and the role of the helper that God said he was sending to the church. I I mean, I see the gift of teaching used all throughout the church, and not just in our time, but throughout the history of the church, the Spirit has been using that gift to help people understand his word. We use teaching resources all the time.
1: Well, that's got to be especially... Meaningful to you as a teacher. I, I here, do like right? to teach,
0: yes. And I have been greatly helped by many teachers, many people in person, online, that are alive today. And like with Athanasius, reading really great teachers of the faith throughout church history.
1: Yeah. And, and I think for you, I, I know some of the people that taught you I've heard on this podcast. And so you've got that immediate living teacher that you're still able to access and and they can see what they've poured into and and what that's produced. And then also God has given us these works of people like Athanasius that have survived 17 centuries. (laughs) 17 (laughs) centuries.
0: That's wild to me. (laughs) Absolutely. So general revelation, the gift of teaching, I think too, the Bible doesn't talk about everything. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to learn algebra. By reading the
1: Bible. Maybe not at school either. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> Did you not make it through algebra? I mean, I made it through. Okay, but I was I was badly damaged.
0: I know you like algebra, you get some concepts that stick with you for life, like solving for a variable. And and I'm in accounting and finance, so there's math. But he, my kids are doing pre-calc and algebra and all that. And I look at it and I'm like, I do not remember doing that this. <laughs> it's, right? That's yeah. right. There's the, no way I could do this. <laughs> yeah,
1: I wish at the time I'd appreciated the complexity of it and the win you get when you understand it. Mm-hmm. So sticking with something and winning, you know, like whether it's in football or algebra class, but I'd I was naive and I, I knew better than the teachers at the time. Right. Oh, youth. <laughs> There's so
0: many things I look back on. Uh, right. Look, I, I wish. I didn't think I knew at all then,
1: <laughs> but I still wouldn't listen to myself today. Right, back to Right. Then, yeah.
0: yeah. I had a couple verses just about this. I think Philippians four, eight comes to mind. Let me read that. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence, And if anything, worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And for me, that's obviously the inspired word of God comes right to the top of that. But there's many things beyond that that fall into that category that are worthy of praise and are worthy of dwelling on.
1: And certainly see the people that God has gifted through Mm -hmm. the centuries and Mm -hmm. they didn't get everything right, right. But when you can read somebody like Athanasius and see their take on... The incarnation and, mm. and the uphill battle he was fighting at the time and right. and won uh, to, to the glory of God.
0: Yeah. I, oh, I can't wait to get into it. Mm. Yeah. And then Proverbs twenty seven seventeen is another one we talked about. You know, I, that whole iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's good to do counsel. It's good to do theology. It's good to read scripture in community and with other people. I think there's tons of value in that.
1: Yeah, and I think it, it's not quite the same, but... You know, reading the classics, it is some of that iron sharpening iron. But then also you and I reading it together, oh. we're, we're walking side by side, right? Yes. And that sharpening through a tool like Athanasius is a blessing.
0: Well, and it's just fun. It's Enjoy it. It's, a, it's one of my favorite parts about
1: life. Yeah. And to quote C.S. Lewis, two heads are better than one, not because either is infallible, but because they are unlikely to go wrong in the same direction. <laughs> so
0: good, right? Yes, and I, I just know that's true. Even, you know, like studying the Bible, doing it in a group in a community. I know you're doing that with a group right now. It's to me, it's always has so much more fruit than just being on a solo mission.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were created to be in community. That's right, and and doing theology together, which. Just doesn't sound right in today's world, unfortunately, <laughs> it, but that's part of being in community too. Yeah. And we learn in community, we correct in community, mm. we're corrected in community. Yeah. And that is right out of the Bible.
0: I know. And now you're getting near one of my soapboxes, just the power of planning yourself in community in a local church. Mm. <laughs> well, so to that point, we're reading what I call the old stuff, one of the classics, one of the ancients. Why read? Old stuff. (laughs) Why not just read? Aren't we smarter today? Don't we have it all figured out today? Why would you not meet the most current people? Why read the old stuff? Mm. (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs)
1: Right? You know, one of the easiest ways to learn is from the prior generations. Mm. Because it stood the test of time. Right. Right? The heretical works didn't stand the test of time. You know, one of the things that CS Lewis talked about was don't believe in the false humility and thinking that <laughs> it's only for professors that you know you've got to be willing to look the giants of old face to face yeah and and to quote him, this yeah. mistaken preference for the modern books and the shyness of the old ones is nowhere more rampant than in theology <laughs> that's right which and he, and he was in both worlds right He yeah. was at a, a university teaching students literature and then he was also writing, And speaking on great works of theology, he was writing his own great works of theology. That's right. And so I I think he knows this better even than we do. Mm. I know
0: we've read some great fiction together and some classics. I found that reading these great works and reading fiction actually, which I had to be talked into by the likes of you and my wife, because I tended to be more nonfiction and current and reading some of those old works. It's made me a better teacher. It's made me a better communicator of the faith. And Along with the Bible, it's taught me that in Jesus' teaching and parables, but they were just made for story. Mm, Yes. (laughs) You just get wrapped up
1: in a good story.
0: I know. And when they're the great ones, they really tap into the reality of our human experience. That tying all that together, like I said, I think it's made me a better communicator.
1: Firsthand knowledge is, back to C.S. Lewis's point, firsthand knowledge is. So much more rewarding than Mm. I heard it from this person who heard it from this person. And this isn't necessarily reading, but my wife and I were fortunate enough to go to Greece after I graduated. Thank you, mom and dad. Yeah. And we went to Olympia, and I stood on the marble starting line of the track. I don't know Can you imagine – Standing Uh, there, I couldn't get Karen to race me. uh, (laughs) I wanted to to sprint against my wall. Just somebody. We were the only two there. And you imagine the people in the stands and the statue of Nikeo or the the goddess of victory there. And there's nothing like standing there on the grass and seeing Mm. Olympia for the first time. You know, It's similar with books. So when reading... Lord of the Rings, we uh, witnessed Gandalf's yes. response to Frodo when referring to Gollum. And it says, do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Uh, and even the very wise cannot see all the ends. And this line, I, mean, you get goose, I get goosebumps every time I read it or see it in the movies. And it, it just taught me so much about my own short-sightedness in God's plan when I'm ready to deal out my own, quote, death and destruction to people who deserve it. I am... So short sighted. Yeah. I don't know what God is doing in the bigger plan always. Oh, I love that. You're
0: talking about the first hand knowledge. We have another quote here from the introduction that C.S. Lewis writes First hand knowledge is not only more worth acquiring than second hand knowledge, but it is usually much easier and more delightful to acquire.
1: Going back to that comment about algebra. Yeah. How much more do you delight in it when you have to chew on it and fight with it and, and maybe even ask your peer mm-hmm. what they think about it? I mean, the reward is there and it, it sticks. It does. That, there's something amazing about
0: really wrestling with something, especially in like firsthand, that it does stick with you more than getting a passive resource and like, oh, that was good. And then a month
1: later, you, it's gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the things you've wrestled with they stick with you. Yeah. And then I think another good point that, that C.S. Lewis pointed out was modern books are still on trial. They haven't stood the mm-hmm. test of time yet. And then a, l- a little bit of psychology, which I, I love. You do. I do love the psychology. But I love that about you. <laughs> we're likely to miss the cultural context in which the book was written when we're living in that context. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to understand what you don't understand. Right. Right. But you know, I think you know for us today, you know, you and I would probably say that our generation, our society, has lost some of the knowledge of truth. Yeah. Just you know, whether it's with maybe some of the gender things, yeah, or what's right and wrong, and and we're just confused about it. And I, I think you and I would say there's there's no mooring left. Society's kind of mm. torn itself out of that. Yeah, but. The current generation's desire to to love and accept everybody, you and I wouldn't say to agree with that decision. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, our, our parents or grandparents generation maybe didn't get that right. Yeah. They, maybe they didn't love people as believers should love people and be a light of the church. Mm. I know. And you do. You just live and you
0: breathe the air and you drink the water that you're in, right? That's all you, you know. It's hard to see outside of that bubble of that time and space and reading old works puts you, it it helps you lift your eyes out of that. I think that more than anything, I found that to be true because you put yourself in a different time and space where an issue of like Athanasius's time of, okay, now who was Jesus? Was he God or was he man? Something we don't really struggle with or think about. We kind of accepted what God has revealed on that topic, but there's many topics in our day that, are just so loud and so in your face. And we're talking about it all the time that we feel like that's the most important thing ever. And in a different time, they didn't even, they didn't, they didn't struggle with who was a male and who was a female.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And in a hundred years, when you and I are gone, they, it'll be something something else. else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another, Wonderful quote from the book is a new book is still on its trial, Mm -hmm. and the amateur is not in position to judge it. You and I are amateurs coming to Athanasius, and it has to be tested against the great body of Christian thought down the ages again to get away from heresy. A couple generations, you you begin to see it for what it is. If you don't see it immediately, and all its hidden implications often even unsuspected by the author, him or herself. Right. They couldn't see into
0: the future. Oh, yeah. And you've talked about it, but every generation has their own zeitgeist. You know, readers are likely to catch some mistakes of others and likely to make mistakes that others did not. So reading books from different ages helps with that.
1: Yeah. And I think – don't want to be too formulaic here – but something like trying to read one ancient book for every three or four modern yeah. books you read, just to sprinkle in some salt, we'll say, to to counterbalance what what the present zeitgeist is. Well, define ancient.
0: What are we saying? Is that ten years old? Is that a yeah, million years old? Yeah, I, mean, I think and a million.
1: <laughs> a million. Is that a thousand I don't know years if old? I have a book that's a million years old, <laughs> but you know, I'd say ancient technically would be up to the sixth century. Okay, however. So you're pretty safe leading up to the 20th century. Right, in our
0: context. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Continuing that thread, there's some other good quotes from Lewis on this topic.
1: One was, if you join at 11 o'clock a conversation which began at 8, you will not often see the real bearings of what is said. Oh, right. I mean, it's just so C.S. Lewis. I know. To just take <laughs> a difficult concept and make it obvious. I know. And another part of I think that humility that C.S. Lewis talks about or that false humility is people were not more clever in antiquity, nor are we more clever now. <laughs> we just make different mistakes. Yes.
0: But that is a real, I think, problem for a lot of modern people is – and I think it's kind of undergirded with that one of the things we live and breathe in is just evolutionary theory just dominates our thinking. Even as Christians, it's just so prevalent that it's muscled itself into everything – And one of those things for me is most people around the day walking around think, well, yeah, naturally we're smarter and wiser and no more than the prior generations. And it's pretty arrogant when you step back, but I think we all walk around thinking that there's been this progression and in some things there are, but the idea that we know more about the existential pieces of life than a person from the third or fourth century C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery.
1: Yeah. And, you know, ironically, we're still quoting Aristotle and yeah. Plato and Socrates. Right. And how much smarter are we if we're still quoting them?
0: I'm, I'm definitely smarter
1: than them, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> no. well, and and have we figured out how the pyramids were built yet?
0: Oh, boy. Right. Now, now we're going to have a podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the other things he says, every age has its own outlook. And it's especially good at seeing certain truths and especially liable to making certain mistakes. I think you were hitting on that earlier about the things that we wrestle with today aren't the same things that prior generations do, but we think they're the most important thing. And we don't always see the mistakes we're making in our own time.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the mistakes or the battles they were having at that time was Jesus's humanity. Right. And make an argument for modern man or modern day, we're not struggling with Jesus's humanity. We're struggling with his divinity. Mm -hmm. So 2,000 years later, well, 1,700 years later, it's flipped. Yeah, I know. Mm. I think one good thing about the true humility of approaching it is, as C.S. Lewis says, people were no cleverer than they are now. They made as many stakes as we but not the same mistakes. Mm. So each age may have a slightly different spirit, but one can see common threads running through them. Yeah. Such as the triune God, yeah. that Jesus is a hundred percent God and man.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's good. Another quote to top onto that. He says, but how could they have thought that? <laughs> right. <laughs> None of us can fully escape this blindness, but we shall certainly increase it and weaken our guard against it. If we only read modern books. Amen. <laughs> So I found reading, and there's a weird, for me, like maybe not weird, like a romantic kinship of reading believers from different times. And I think you'll see this as we're going to encourage this audience to, to check out this work, that he was wrestling with some of the same things that I wrestled with when I came to faith and was trying to really understand who this Jesus is that I'd put my faith in. And as that's gotten deeper and deeper and deeper, as I've matured, I look at some of the things he's talking about and think, "Wow, he was in the third or fourth century, but he, I feel a kinship with him."
1: There's a nostalgia, I think, you have. That yeah, this was a guy that followed Jesus 1700 years ago, mm-hmm. and we have his some of his writings. Sure, and you know, it's similar. Like I think of my dad has an oxen yoke that my. Let's see if I get this correct. Great, great, great grandfather used Whoa. to drive oxen from Arkansas to Texas where no they settled. And just to touch that yoke, which is <sighs> only 150 years old, right. is to be connected with that hardship that, that they went through to to drive cattle or oxen across states. Oh, and to that. pick up a book that somebody wrote Seventeen hundred years ago was to be connected to that difficulty, that struggle they faced, and that inspiration that they they had from God to fight for, just truth, for yeah, his truth. Oh, so good.
0: Well, one of the other things Lewis hits on is this idea of: well, Do we read theology? Do we read doctrinal books, or do we read devotionals? What does he What does he say in this introduction about Great that quote? Yeah,
1: a little convicting. Now, the layman or amateur needs to be instructed as well as to be exhorted. In this age, his need for knowledge is particularly pressing, nor would I admit any sharp division between the two kinds of book. For my own part, I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books, and I rather suspect that the same experience may await others. (laughs) That's interesting, right? (laughs) It might be offensive in some circles. Maybe, yeah.
0: It gave me a lot of thought when he said that because it kind of surprised me.
1: Yeah, and I think some of the devotional books, I think, are, are well-meaning, but they don't deal with some of the struggle yeah. that you get with the ancient works. And just the doctrinal books, the working through of theology and doctrine, it, just, it can be so much more rewarding than I a devotional book.
0: He's making a full circle on his earlier points in that introduction that when you wrestle with some of this deeper stuff, it's hard. It really is, but it's rewarding, and it sticks with you, and you're not alone. Your prior brothers and sisters in Christ have been doing this all throughout these centuries, and the Spirit, the Helper, has been with them, teaching them, illuminating God's truth to them. It's romantic for me to think through that connection.
1: You know, I think one thing that always has been so important when you're doing that is to remember we're exhorted in James to ask God for Wisdom Mm -hmm. and answers when things don't make sense. I wasn't a new believer, but I was a new walking believer in following Jesus. And I read a book on predestination. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yes. And it shredded me for (laughs) a good three months. (laughs) Because here I am, your average guy, reading. And even in the book, it talked about the greats. Their disagreements and and who am I to figure out what these Titans are discussing. I do well if I understand it. (laughs) And and just to pray through that, God, I don't understand this and it doesn't make sense. And it, you know, maybe even hurts or makes me mad. Would you please open my eyes to what, what you're doing? And it's just, it has to be part of the process. It
0: is. That's a prayer that gets answered
1: in a way that you probably wouldn't
0: expect. And it doesn't always remove the complexity, but somehow he brings you to a place where somehow with that complexity and by faith that God brings you to this place of, of joy and peace with it all. And yes, a deeper understanding, but not you're not at the finish line. But seeing him clearer and clearer for who he is and what he's doing is is worth the the struggle.
1: I think it's even a good indication of of where you are currently spiritually mm. even on a day-to-day basis when the clouds roll in say over predestination free will or whatever <laughs> it might be if you really struggle with it emotionally sometimes i find i'm not pursuing jesus okay i'm getting caught up in trying to understand god and there's there's certain things that we'll just never understand yeah i mean I, especially on
0: this side of eternity
1: yeah. yeah i mean sometimes i imagine being in heaven and being okay, so what what's this predestination free will thing? And God <laughs> takes a millennia to explain it. And then I say, okay, so it's a party, right? Okay. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. Right. And I think that's okay. Yeah. I think
0: that's something that in some sense, like one thing, you know, if you think deeper about living for eternity forward and you're know, like, amazing. And also, oh, that's a long time. What what's gonna be on? But but the idea that, you know, us having been created and having a starting point and so in some sense finite right even though we're gonna live forever in the presence of Christ God is infinite which means we can never ever catch up to him
1: and we will never <laughs> understand
0: that <voice. laughs> I <know>. but I, <laughs> that that's pretty exciting to me the thing that I'll never stop learning
1: yeah it'll never get old right it will be something new every day
0: oh no now we're really <laughs> There's a question I feel like needs to be asked. Is it important to know church history?
1: And if it is, why don't, why don't we talk about it more, Seth? Yeah, I don't think it's important in the sense that we're going to be quizzed on it, <laughs> right. but I think it's important to see how God has worked. You look at Acts two with Pentecost and the Holy spirit moving on thousands mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. and he's been at work. He's still working. He's still moving through people. Yes. Since Pentecost,
0: yes, generation by generation, we could trace our own spiritual ancestry all the way back to Acts two. Yes, we may not have the tools to do it literally, but in, but it, that's how it got to us.
1: Yes, in heaven we'll be able to trace it back uh, to Acts chapter two.
0: That's cool. That is so cool. <laughs> and
1: while not authoritative for our lives, these other books, these his, historical books, can be helpful, beneficial, valuable inspiring Definitely for our inspiring. lives there's just so much wisdom to mine mm. in those books yeah i think too you know we we
0: are under the new covenant and the new testament but we like in our inspired word of god in the bible we have a lot of the old covenant and there's a lot of history in there a lot of the writing is a historical record and to this day i think you see from The Jewish people that history deeply matters to them and they know their history. They love their history. They teach their children their history. It's a big important part of who they are. I think I kind of want to revive that amongst Christians. I think we should embrace our history more and know it and teach it to our, to the next generation. There's something that grounds you when you connect yourself to thousands of years uh, and prior generations. Yes. Yes. As iron sharpens iron. That's right. right. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, too, we've made this argument many times, but we would say that to be a good citizen, to be a good steward of where you're living, it's important that you know your country's and nation's history. We teach that to our, you know, our citizens in this country.
1: When you forget your history, what happens? Mm. <laughs> it's not good is no, it it's not good. <laughs> it's not
0: gu- you're doomed to repeat it is that the <laughs> old saying yeah or what is it history doesn't repeat itself but it often rhymes <laughs> yeah yeah well a closing quote from lewis before he starts the book and next week we'll we'll get into that once you read his oh, closing quote
1: gladly his epitaph is athanasius contra mundum latin for athanasius against the world he stood for the trinitarian doctrine whole and undefiled when it looked as if all the civilized world was slipping back from christianity into the religion of arius into one of those sensible synthetic religions which are so strongly recommended today in which then is now included among their devotees many highly cultivated clergymen It is his glory that he did not move with the times Mm. and our benefit. Yeah. It is his reward that he now remains when those times, as at all times do,
0: have moved away.
1: Oh, I love it. I'm so excited for this
0: audience. to. If you haven't had an introduction to this guy, he's just one of my heroes. Look, he was just an everyday guy like us. And he, well, we're going to go back through the history so you understand the context. But he stood for God's word, really and the truth of it, against incredible odds and incredible attacks. And just like it is, so many times we see this in the Old Testament. But if, you, if you're a student of church history, you can see this in church history a lot. There's a lot of times where it looks like, now well, this is probably the end. Heresies have taken over, they're dominating the church, and it's all falling apart. And God's like, no, I got this. <laughs> yeah. He's always got that remnant that is going to see things through. You see that throughout the Old Testament, and this is one of those stories right here in the fourth century, where Athanasius stood. And as Lewis says, all the others that looked like they had the power and, and all of it at the time—they're gone. And here he stands,
1: seventeen hundred years later. Seventeen
0: hundred years later. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation, Seth, over the next couple of weeks.
1: And me too. Big right. pleasure.
0: Thanks for being here. All right, thank you. All right. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining Fellowship Around the Table. To check out more, visit fbctulsa.org. I got your EKG rolling here. Just do-doot, do-doot, do-doot,
1: do-doot. Strong right now after a workout.
0: There you go. What'd you do this morning? Lower body. Lower body. You didn't skip leg day? mm Never. I never skip leg day. <laughs> <laughs>